G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, the only national program focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR and the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. And we pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. The last day of March was a dark day for people receiving social security payments and those retaining their jobs because of JobKeeper payments. The federal government has thrown people on the renamed dole payment JobSeeker back to below poverty payment levels and cut JobKeeper payments, threatening up to a million jobs as COVID-19 loosens its grip on the Australian community. In a week of protests across the country, members of a coalition calling for a living income for everyone has been making it clear that the poverty doll, suppression of wages for working people and the industrial relations laws entrenching casualisation and insecure work go hand in hand, undermining Australian society while maintaining profits to business. We hear from speakers outside the Fair Work Commission making it clear that workers and the unemployed have common cause. But first, some union news. The Australian Maritime Authorities have detained two vessels owned by controversial Qatari shipping company for serious labour rights breaches just weeks after the crew on another of Aswan trading and contracting ships were driven to hunger strikes off the coast of Kuwait. The International Transport Federation contacted the AMSA and the Port Authority of New South Wales, alerting them that failing generators and lack of fuel on the Miram was placing the ship's crew in immediate danger. The ITF investigations found nine of 23 seafarers on board were working on employment agreements that had expired on the 11th of March. A number had been on the ship for six months prior, and some just three. It is a breach of the Maritime Labor Conventions, for a ship owner to have seafarers on expired contracts operating their ships. A second Aswan ship was detained in remote Queensland at Weeper on the west side of Cape York Peninsula. The vessel's engine had such serious problems that authorities are blocking the ship from coming into Weeper's inner harbour. Instead, it remains anchored at Weeper's outer harbour. United Workers' Union members at McCormick's at Clayton South in Melbourne are in their sixth week of a 24-hour picket. The workers, many who have worked for decades at the factory, which produces sources for McDonald's, Hungry Jack's and KFC, as well as items such as aeroplane jelly for Woolworths, refused to take a cut to conditions and a 1% increase in pay after five years of stagnant wages. In New South Wales, there's a blitz into gig 
companies revealed disgraceful OHS breaches. Six gig economy companies have been issued safety notices after a Sydney blitz revealed widespread non-compliance with WHS laws, including the absence of high-vis gear and explicit health and safety instructions. The blitz conducted by Safe Work New South Wales found that 90% of bike riders performing food delivery work for gig platforms had inadequate PPE, while 60% were unable to demonstrate or refer to any work safety protocols provided by them by platforms. Safe Work inspectors will continue to be out in force on Sydney streets, issuing improvement notices and penalties to anyone who fails to comply with New South Wales work health and safety standards. Last month, Safe Work introduced new draft guidelines to help food delivery operators, drivers and restaurants understand how to fulfil their obligations under the New South Wales work health and safety legislation. The guidelines outline existing hazards in the industry such as poorly maintained bikes, fatigue and extreme weather conditions and the actions that must be taken by delivery platforms, drivers and restaurants to mitigate these risks. South Australian ambulance employees, workers, have agreed to stop charging patients for certain ambulance trips starting on March the 10th. The Secretary of the Ambulance Employees Association, Philip Palmer, said, if a patient gets a priority one in longer than eight minutes, they won't get a bill, he said. If they get a priority two in longer than 16 minutes, they won't get a bill. And if someone gets a priority three in longer than 30 minutes, they won't get a bill and so on. We're escalating the action over time if we don't get the outcomes we want. We don't bargain. We're fighting for the community safety. The union is demanding more resources for the state's ambulance service to help relieve overworked staff and improve chronic ramping outside public hospital emergency departments. The Media Entertainment Arts Alliance members will be voting in April to decide if the MEAA will withdraw support from the Australian Press Council. In a release to members, it said MEAA supports self-regulation in the media industry, which is why we created the MEAA Journalist Code of Ethics in 1944. We welcomed the establishment of the Press Council in 1976 after more than 20 years of lobbying by MEAA. However, the public must have genuine redress for lapses in media standards and have confidence in our profession. The Press Council is funded by publishers, with some of their adjudications recently openly mocked by journalists and publications which were found to have breached standards. When the Council found a column by Andrew Bolt, for example, about climate campaigner Greta Thunberg was in breach of standards, the News Corp columnists mocked the ruling. Bolt also repeated the slurs, referring to the 17-year-old as a freakish influential goddess of global warming and a holy fool, and accused the press council of sabotaging debate. And accused the press council of sabotaging debate. If found in breach of the council standards on fairness, a newspaper is expected to publish the adjudication in full, in print or online, but there is no other sanction. In April, the 
MEAA will vote on whether to withdraw funding and membership of the Council. For some time, MEAA members have been dissatisfied with the Press Council over its poor governance standards, lack of transparency in funding, slowness in adjudications and a concern about irregularities in some decisions, MEAA Media President Marcus Strom said. You're listening to Stick Together, Worker Stories and Union News, broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. You're listening to Stick Together, Worker Stories, Union News and Social Justice Issues. Break the Poverty Machine Week of Action held rallies around the country last week as the Federal Liberal National Government cut Social Security payments to below poverty levels again after raising the payment during COVID. We joined the Melbourne rally outside the Fair Work Commission as the speakers made the connection between low dole rates and suppression of wages. The organisers see this as only the beginning of a growing coalition of groups working to push back against draconian social security laws and low do? wages and insecure work. When workers' rights are under attack, what do we do? Stand up like that. When workers' rights are under attack, what do we do? Stand up like that. When rights final part of the final segment do? of this action today, we, we are in front of the Fair Work Commission. And the Fair Work Commission and I'll only say this once because I said it back in the park, it is the site of many decisions made by commissioners and full benches and so on that are reinforcing the government's desire to drive down the industrial wage and make it overall closer to the poverty level. So we are here to learn more about what the union movement itself is working out about how to tackle this situation. And yesterday, we learned that the federal government, of course, has now given a green light to more wage theft. And in a couple of weeks, is the deadline day for submissions for the annual wage review. And we can bet that the employers will be asking for nothing, or maybe 0.5% increase in the minimum rate for wages, thus driving wages further behind price increases and closer to the poverty line. Our first speaker here is Geordie from Hospo Voice UWU and welcome to Geordie who is deeply experienced in the trials of wage theft and the struggles for a decent wage in the hospitality industry. So thank you very much Geordie. Thanks guys. Um, yeah, so I'm Geordie. I'm from Hospo Voice. I'm a barista. Uh, but before I'd like to begin, I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Um, as several speakers have already pointed out today, we can't be having these conversations about wage theft and exploitation and the welfare system without centering Indigenous voices, because it's Indigenous communities that are bearing the brunt of these horrific policies. You know, the basics card being the perfect example of this. 
So I wanted to talk to you guys uh, today about the link between a casualized workforce, a weak welfare system, and the exploitation of workers. When workers have no job security and there's no safety net for us to fall back on, we're forced to accept jobs that undermine our basic rights because our only other option is poverty. There is no better industry to examine how this dynamic plays out than hospitality. So almost 80% of the hospitality industry are casual workers. Um, so it should come as no surprise to all of you that uh, hospitality workers also represent the highest number of wage theft claims with fair work, and that's especially migrant workers. So uh, it's estimated that nationally about one in two hospitality workers are not being paid the national minimum wage. Um, this is not chance. It is not chance that the industry that has the highest levels of casual employment is also the industry that has the highest levels of wage theft and exploitation. These two things go hand in hand because we do not have a leg to stand on if we don't have access to secure work. We can't demand our basic rights. Uh, where, where a reason for termination must be provided with permanent work, employers can simply tell a casual worker that there are no shifts available at the moment when a complaint is made. And it's incredibly hard to prove this link unless your employer was silly enough to put it in an email. I can attest to this practice because it's happened to me twice in the last 12 months. At both cafes, I was promised award wages in the interview only to be sorely disappointed when I received my, my first paycheck. No payslip, of course. When I queried my pay, I was gaslit and told I didn't understand the award. I was made out to be a troublemaker I was even told that speaking to other workers about their pay is illegal. Disclaimer, it's not illegal, it's a workplace, right? Um, both cafes suddenly didn't have any more shifts for me, yet refused to actually terminate my employment. I went into the pandemic in March last year, already unemployed, already having burnt through my savings, and I was already on the brink of mental collapse because one of my employers was threatening to sue me for defamation because I complained about wage theft. That's right, they would rather put money into a lawyer than actually paying their workers. And this is a fucking norm in hospitality and it has to change. And here's the thing guys, I'm one of the lucky ones. I was at rock bottom and I had my parents to lean on. But how many people don't have access to that? What about people who can't, who can't get money from their parents or who are in abusive situations? What about people with kids? What about migrant workers on temporary visas who don't have any family here, who have a language barrier and don't have a shitty Centrelink payment to fall back on? What about them? We can see what happens to them in the pandemic as well because they were left on the street. Our, our international students here like entirely fund our university sector, but the government is happy to turn a blind eye when they're exploited and told them to go home when they needed help the most. It's a disgrace. So what can we do, guys? Join your union. I joined Hospo Voice and I was able to get advice about my rights at work. I received help in drafting an open letter to my employer on behalf of all staff outlining our rights. And of course, I was connected with other workers who were going through the same thing. Um, I even got to protest outside one of the cafes that fired me and I got to yell at my boss with a megaphone, which was great. <laughs> but most importantly, joining my union has opened my eyes to the power of the collective and the power that we have to actually transform the society that we live in. Because it's through organizing our workplaces that we can stand together and we can't be singled out when we demand our basic rights. It's through organizing our industries that we can change norms and we can demand industry-wide change to our working conditions. 
and it's through organising the working class as a whole that we can demand that basic rights are met of every single human being, that we can demand that our politicians act on climate change, we can demand that pigs like Christian Porter don't get to keep their cushy jobs when they make women unsafe in the workplace. This is the power that we have as union members and this is the power that we have when we act as a collective, when we think as a collective. So, if you're here today, no matter what your job is, if you're unemployed, if you're a barista like me, if you're a nurse, if you're a teacher, whatever, join your union and start to think collectively. Because it's only through acting collectively that we can start to transform the society that we live in. Thank you. You're happy with the crowd? The people have turned up? Very happy. I mean, have a look at all the different groups here represented. It's a great moment for working class solidarity today. We've got about 10 different unions, about five different community groups. It's a real beginning, I think, of a big working class movement that's really going to challenge the, um, the government around job seeker and get a dignified payment for, for all unemployed workers. Jay, are you happy with uh, the turnout? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it turned out to be really good. Uh, and, uh, with such short notice, we pulled it together in the last few weeks, and the way that everyone's come out, um, you know, in work, out of work, it, it's fantastic. It goes to show that when we come together, we can fight for what you know the poor and the working deserve. You're from the United Workers Union. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're happy to be down here today? Yeah, really happy to be down here. It's a really good turnout. Yeah. Now, uh, obviously, the United Workers Union have got skin in the game because a lot of Insecure work and uh, low paid work is affected by the low job seeker rate too. That's right, yeah. Many of our members um, found themselves on Job Keeper and then Job Seeker. The casuals all ended up on Job Seeker last year um, and now there's been cut off and the impact on our members who are still working or are underemployed is really significant. So you're hoping for uh, unions and the general population to work together for a better result? Absolutely, everyone will benefit from a better result. The workers united will never be defeated. 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 When workers' rights are under attack, what do we do? Stand up, fight back. When workers' rights are under attack, what do we do? Stand up, fight back. When workers' rights are under attack, what do we do? Stand up, fight back. What do we do? So what did they say, Don? Hmm? What did they say? They are non-union workers. Stand up, fight back. And they just got a pay increase from their boss, basically, to stay that way. And now we have our second speaker from the union movement.
His name is Victor Moore and he's the Senior Vice President of the Rail, Tram and Bus Union. And I've got to say this about Victor, we've just been renewing acquaintances from the old days. And you know what? Victor is one of the people in the, in the movement who has switched on very early to what we have been trying to do in starting the process of bringing all the bits and pieces of our organisations into one. And a big thank you to Victor because he invited uh, myself, but invited the Living Incomes for Everyone campaign to talk with his executive about what we were trying to do. And here he is today backing up that invitation with his willingness to participate in the whole event and to speak to you now about the union perspective, about the downward pressure on wages and the destruction, the attempted destruction of working conditions. Thank you very much, Victor. Thank you very much. First of all, I'd like to thank you all for being here today. It's a fantastic turnout. Uh, and obviously this is the start of something hopefully very, very big. There's a real history in relation to the fight against poverty and unemployment in Victoria. Uh, there's the Unemployed Workers Union, there was the Work For Today, there was the Right to Work Committees, there was the Coalition Against Poverty and Unemployment, uh, and all that over the years has continued, and hopefully this is a part of that continu history continuing into the future. It's a very proud history, it's a very active history, and activity, as we all know, wins in the end. If you stay silent, you do nothing, you get nothing. If you're willing to stand up and fight, you'll get something in the end. And you just keep on fighting day in, day out. It's the only way to get rid of this you know, ridiculous society that we have. In relation to the industrial relations side of it, well, I've been up here a few times, I can tell you. And unfortunately, the uh, industrial law, people sort of think on the outside when they don't have much to do with it, oh, it's fairly equal, things are evenly balanced. Well, I'm here to tell you it's not. It's a clause that has a sub-clause, that has a Roman numeral, that has a letter of the alphabet followed by another sub-clause that unfortunately impacts on working people's lives. And it becomes a lawyer's feast. Now, the commissioners up here see themselves in their role as overseeing the implications of the industrial re uh, relations laws in relation to how they view the impact of the law. Unfortunately, that law is unequal. The minute you walk in there, you're walking in on your back foot. Unless you have others behind you, unless you have the trade union movement behind you, you will always be in the back foot in this particular place. And unfortunately, it's getting worse, not better. And that's largely because the law itself is an ass. There's no clearer way to describe it than that. If you can't have a law that protects people who are going to be retrenched, then what's the point of the law? If you can't have a law that looks after people who are being ripped off day in, day out, then what's the point of that law? We need new industrial relations laws, but we need laws that look after people and don't see them as the enemy. Now, we've also got a situation, unfortunately, we've seen in the past of mass retrenchments, and unfortunately it's going to continue to, to, uh, continue to grow, unfortunately, due to this COVID situation. Now, if you take industrial action in relation to trying to protect your job, you're at fault. The employer can come down, threaten to sue you, they can threaten to put you in jail, they can take you to any court they like, and the court will back them up nine times out of ten. And unfortunately, in a place like this, the Fair Work Commission, it's a situation whereby they will protect that law. 
they will go right down the line. You can take it to the full bench. You can take it to the Supreme Court. You can take it to the Federal Court. You can even take it to the High Court. But all it is at the end of the day is it's the boss's court. And we only know really all trade unionists here today will know that the only way really to win a fight is to fight it out on the ground and to win it on the ground. That's where it really counts. And finally, I just want to end up by saying that the trade union movement and the unemployed movement have always been together as one. The trade union movement recognises that unemployed workers are used as a buttress by the employer to threaten the existence of awards, to threaten the existence of working conditions. We see it time in and time out. I remember being on the um, supporting the picket line down at the Dollar Sweets dispute, which was one of those benchmark disputes back in the early 80s, which uh, Peter Costello uh, was involved in. He was a Liberal Party uh, federal treasurer of some ill note. Uh, and that was a picket line that was money had elderly women on it. They brought in um, a couple of scabs. Uh, they brought in also quite a few thugs to try and punch their way, way through a picket line. Uh, and that became a benchmark of trying then to undermine working conditions. There was then the Mudgeonbury dispute up in the Northern Territory in relation to the um, to the meat work, and you remember from there it just snowballed and snowballed. There was then also the attacks on the, the old Builders Labor's Federation at the time, and slowly but surely all the conditions over the years have been attacked one by one. It's like watching a thousand cuts. And really the union movement, and I know the previous speaker has said it before, in terms of collective, you've got to join the collective. At the moment we're sitting at about maybe 15% membership, union membership across Australia. That's a terrible condition to be in. If we want to negotiate, we have to negotiate through strength, and that means we need to build those numbers regardless of the industry. It means that unions outside of those industries need to support those inside those industries to organise. That means we've got to get the numbers on the ground and we've got to get them active. So with that, you have our support. If we can do anything for you, we'll be there with you. And thank you very much. That's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with the show, we are podcast at 3cr.org.au and on iTunes and Spotify. If you want to drop us a line, email us on sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. And until next week, remember, wherever you work and whatever you do, there is a union for you. And stick together.